Welcome to another message from Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. You can find more about us by visiting gracewaydc.com or find Graceway DC on social media. In last week's message, Peter was openly condemning false teachers. This week, he warns their followers about where this corrupt path will lead and how to escape it. But they must first identify and deny three components of corruption, a proud will, an evil mouth, and a greedy heart. Here's Pastor Brad Wells with this week's message from Peter's epistle called Escaping the Captivity of Corruption. Bibles, if you would, and let's go to the book of 2 Peter, the book of 2 Peter. I really enjoyed that time of worship, and uh, boy, I heard the ladies singing their part in that song, and it was beautiful, and uh, it was time for the men, and I was ready to sing, and all of a sudden, I got choked up, and I I was crying over there. I was lifting my hands, but somebody else had to do the singing. It was uh, it was wonderful. I really enjoy singing with you and worshiping and praising the Lord. We've been in the book of First and Second Peter, the books of First and Second Peter, uh, the first letter, of course, First Peter. Uh, Peter really brings out in chapter number one, he says, listen, you're not just like the rest of the world. You are a chosen generation. You are, you're royalty. Uh, you are the new priest, the new people of God. And God's picked you and chosen you and realized the potential that you have in the Lord. Look at chapter two, verse number nine, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, unholy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so this week and every week and every day and every moment, God has chosen my mind, your mind, and our hearts to glorify God in whatever sector, in whatever place you serve the Lord. And God needs royal ambassadors in every section, in every place. There's not a place where God doesn't want you to serve. But in the midst of that service, the devil comes along, and God allows the devil to come along and tempt us. And the main temptation of the devil is just like it was back in the book of Genesis. And so the devil comes to Eve there in the garden and says, look at this tree, and and Eve says, well, this is the one tree that we're not supposed to eat from. And the devil says to Eve, God's been withholding the best things from you. God knows that when you eat of this tree, you'll be able to discern good from evil. You'll finally grow up. You'll ascend to the level of the gods. And you know that is what I was tempted with and you're tempted with. As a matter of fact, those that God has sheltered and protected and chosen, hear that temptation. If you grew up in church and had good parents that kept you from the, the corruption and the filth that is available through lust, if, if God has blessed you with, with sheltering hands that kept all that stuff from you, you know the thing that comes to your ear, the thing that came to my ear is, the very best stuff has been withheld from you. If you just enter into this, you won't fall down. You'll be able to, you'll, you'll be like God and able to, able to discern good from evil. And it won't corrupt you. Look at the other people. They didn't die. Thou shalt not die. And Eve fell. And she partook of that fruit. And that relationship between her and God was severed. And many a modern Christian has felt maybe not eternal life ripped away from them, but they have felt distant from God a million miles to the point where they're like, is there a God? That's what Second Peter is all about. Now, this last Thursday, we were in Ephesians 5, and it talked about the paradise that God provides, the paradise originally called Eden, can be duplicated in a way in your home. 
And, and God presented in e- Ephesians chapter number five, you can have a home that's filled with love and honor and respect. But in order to do that, the preceding verses were, you have to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God and your mouth must be filled with the praises of God and, and God must be guiding you and leading you. But in order to do that, there were six things that were strictly prohibited from the Christian life. And those six things came in two categories, basically a filthy life and foolish tongue or talking. And Christians, we must watch out what we're saying and what we're living. So once we kick out of our living, our lifestyle, foolish words, foolish talking, foolish jesting, and a filthy lifestyle, we kick those two out, then we're qualified to be filled with the knowledge of his will and the praises of God. Then in our homes, we can have this love and honor, and it can fill our homes to the point that it can be exported to our whole community, and God can bless. And we can have what the Bible declares is paradise. And you know what paradise means? Paradise simply means a walled garden. A walled garden, a, a protected place with, with abundance and everything that you long. That's paradise. And God's created that desire in us. But there's a strange thing. In the animals, it's more obvious. If you have a field of cattle or horses or sheep or whatever, and, and you have all this grass and maybe there's a little bit greener grass over here and a little bit better and a little bit worse over here, drier, all that, the, the cattle won't necessarily find the greenest grass and go to it. Where do you think the cattle go? Somebody said something? The fence. That's exactly, they don't find the driest. They don't find the lushest. They go to the fence. And when they get to the fence, what do they do? They stick their head through the fence and lean against the fence. That's what we do. We go to the extremes. We're pushing out of paradise. And God's saying, now, wait a minute. The walls are here for a reason. Everything you need is in the garden. And that's what good parents do. They say, all right, here's the walls, and here's the provision, and trust me, it's what you need is here. But we lean out, and we wander. So we saw that in Ephesians chapter 5 this last Thursday. And it's amazing to me, we saw that the week before in Galatians 5. So one week we did Galatians 5. We saw the same thing I just described. The next Thursday, Ephesians 5, it was the same message. And now Peter is bringing this same thing out again. This is the recipe for success. Do you want to have the longing of your heart, which is, which is love and respect, honor, Women have a tendency to want love more than respect, but they're both together. And men want honor or respect a little bit more than love, but they're, they're both in there. We, we want the same things. God's put that in us, but you've got to stay in the fence. So we've described 1 Peter just a little bit. Now let's go on to 2 Peter. And chapter 1, this is just by way of review. Look at verse number 4. Peter says, that we can have the divine nature. That is, we can become partakers of the very nature of God. And how do we partake of the nature of God? Well, you've got to escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. I want you to say that last line to your neighbor, to the right or to the left. You've got to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Go ahead and say it to him right now. You've got to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. You've got to escape. You've got to, you've got to get out. Escaping. <laughs> Sounds just like escape. <laughs> and so the title of the message today, Escaping the Captivity of Corruption. Corruption is everywhere. It's everywhere. Now, here in D.C. and on the Hill, uh, we're famous for talking about corruption. And by the way, corruption's always on the other side of the aisle. It's never on our side uh, but that is, that's not true. That's not true. There was a, um, there was a, a bill, a horrible bill, a, a absolute violation of clear scripture that came up uh, on the House side this, this last week. 
And there was a Christian, I believe a Christian, I believe a Christian that I have met with numerous times. We've done Bible studies. We've had a good time. I've, I've introduced him personally to, I guess, hundreds of other pastors and people. And this, this bill that came up absolutely opposing God's definition of marriage and puts that def- definition or the ability to define marriage in our hands. And, and this individual went in opposition of the Bible. I was shocked. And I asked, what happened? Is there incredible pressure? What Did you get confused? What were you thinking? What, were you led astray? Is it, the, is it the homosexual lobby that put all this pressure on you? Is there a big group like this in your district? And he said, well, yes and, and yes, but that pressure wasn't that, wasn't that. I said, what was it? He said, actually, it was my own staff that are all Catholics and, and Christians, but they all just said, I need to vote on this because if I don't, I'll probably lose the next election. And I need to vote on this because probably it'll fail in the Senate. And it just shook me. That's the same thing that we all wrestle with. And I want to say it is an honor to be rejected for the right things or to lose an election for standing for the right things. It is an honor and it is a dishonor. It is a dishonor and an embarrassment to win anything for the wrong things. But we're seduced. We're seduced to say, well, if I do this wrong, it'll enable me to do right later. The book of Galatians, the theme that we've just read this last week, and I hope you read Philippians with us this, this week, but Galatians last week, it's all about walking with the Lord. Walking is a major theme, major. You know what walking is? Well, let's get a few ideas from the crowd here. What is walking? Don't think too deep here. Yeah. Taking the next step. One foot in front of the, the other. My friends, it, it's not that any of us are allured by evil way down the way. We're all like, oh, I would never do that. But it's the next step. It's one foot in front of the other. And we are commanded and called to walk with the Lord. And we are warned against walking according to the flesh. And walking according to the flesh is when you just take that next step. And then you take that next step. And it doesn't alarm you because you can see it from there. And actually, I have an option to go backward. So I'll take the next step. And what we are witnessing is our nation walking away from God and the paradise that God has allowed, that walled garden that God has brought into our nation, such as the world has never seen before. You know where it's happening? It's happening in our homes. It's happening in our hearts. It's not just happening down at the Capitol or at some state house or in some wealthy person's mind or whoever it is that's hiding behind the curtain, you know, you know, all the conspiracy theories. Friends, it's us. It's us. As we give allowance to watch this and accept that and do this. And I mean, and I take that next step and I'm walking according to the flesh. God's command to Abraham uh, was to walk before him, walk before him in a perfect way. What a command. <laughs> How are we going to do that? Well, that's what the Messiah is for. That's what uh, the Holy Spirit is for. And so this representative, I think he's a good man. I see him all the time, made this decision. Those of you that work with congressional staff, realize, realize the importance and the sway you have. Those of you that work anywhere, you have sway, incredible power that can straighten the spine, strengthen the spine of somebody that's going to make an important decision or weaken the hands of somebody that could be able to make a difference. And I call on you this week to live right and do right and worship the Lord with your thoughts and your mind and your heart. It matters. It matters for the world, people, millions of people you will never see and thousands of people that will be directly affected. We will never know. But there is an allurement to evil and corruption, and that allurement 
actually looks like a great opportunity. If it looked like a dismal failure, nobody would take that step. It doesn't, evil doesn't look that way. It looks good. It looks like the next step forward. This is my great opportunity. I'm telling you, evil is alluring you right now to take the next step that looks like a great opportunity. The prison of immorality, which is also called sexual freedom, has a dungeon of torment with your name on it. And you are not being thrust into this dungeon of torment in this prison of immorality called sexual freedom. You're not being thrust in by some strong guards. We're being coaxed into it. We're walking in of our own volition. And so second Peter, Peter is, this is his last letter. It's his last will and testament. He's writing to people from, from Rome under, under fear and threat of the end of his life, which he will lay down gladly. And he is warning everybody. Well, look at chapter two and verse number one. Here's the warning. And this is, we saw this last week. There will be false prophets, that is pseudo prophets. They are working secretly in a public message. That is publicly, it appears this way, but secretly there's something else going on. False prophets, and then look at verse number three, feigned words. And that word feigned is plastos. It means plastic. It means malleable. That means sometimes this word could mean like this, but other times it can mean like that. And the devil's ambassadors use God's words and the devil's dictionary. Watch out for these plastic words and these pseudo-prophets. But it all leads to look at verse number seven, to a filthy conversation. And this conversation doesn't just mean speech. It means a lifestyle, a corrupt lifestyle. And the conclusion that we came to last week is God didn't spare the angels that sinned or the old world of Noah or Sodom and Gomorrah. As a matter of fact, when Jesus died on the cross, God did not even spare his own son. But Jesus declared, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which is the greatest fear everyone has, the fear of falling and the fear of being left alone. And Jesus was left alone, and the Bible declares he became sin for us. Now, these false prophets with these feigned words and this filthy conversation, these are not people that are merely mistaken. I've been merely mistaken. You've been merely mistaken, but that's not what's going on. Not merely mistaken in false religion or false doctrine, but it's actually being willfully wicked. They are both merchandisers and traffickers. This is a horrific situation. So today's message, I want to give you three components of corruption, and they are progressive. When you look for these false prophets with the feigned words, and that leads to a filthy lifestyle, look for these three components of the corrupt. Number one, they have a proud will, a proud, arrogant willfulness. They're not willing but they're willful. Now let's clear our palate just a little bit because I've kind of brought a strong introduction. In verse number nine, the Bible says, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And I can say, I can testify to that. God has delivered me time and time again, and I rejoice that God has and will deliver me, and he will deliver you no matter what temptation comes before you, no matter how dark or how dirty things might be or what situation you come into, God can deliver you. You don't know how, but that's okay because the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. The next part, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And I want to be godly. And the reason we meet together is not because we're lonely, we want to hang out, we want to wear clothes, these fancy clothes, and it's not because we want to test out, you know, how good we can sing or 
It's because we want to submit ourselves to the authority of the Word of God. I want to be both vulnerable and accountable to you. And we should be both vulnerable and accountable to each other that we might be the godly and be terrified to be classified as the unjust that have this reservation of punishment. It's a fearful thing. And so we we encourage ourselves with the gospel of Christ and the message of hope and freedom. God can deliver you. God can set you free through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that we have. That's the hope. And we need to be proclaiming it. And God forbid that we should just keep it to ourselves. So this, this end of summer and into fall operation, meet your neighbors. Oh, do it. Whether you're in an apartment, you haven't met the people on your floor, or the, the floor above you or the, the floor below you, or, or you're in a neighborhood or you're sharing a house or wherever you're at, I want to encourage you, meet the neighbors. Turn to your neighbors and say, you got to meet your neighbors. You got to meet your neighbors. You got to meet your neighbors. And I would say, when you go meet your neighbors, just introduce yourself. You don't have to introduce the church. You don't even have to introduce Jesus yet. Just introduce yourself. I'm your neighbor. I live down the street at at this address or at this number. I'm above you on this floor, you know, right around the corner. I saw you the other day. I waved, and you thought I was a weirdo and ran away. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) Meet your neighbor. And then follow up, and then introduce Christ. Hey, the... I'm just coming back from church. Yeah, this is not a dictionary. This is my Bible. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah. And then maybe later on you can invite them to church as the Lord leads. But meet your neighbors. Meet your neighbors. Now, here we are in verse number 10. So we've seen that God can deliver the just and reserve the unjust to be punished. But verse number 10, but chiefly them. Now, this word chiefly means is referring to the ones that are punished and has the reservation for judgment. And these are the ones, this is like primarily, these are the people that are, they're in a bad way, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. And we had those two elements. I think it was uh, one step at a time and one foot in front of the other, I think we said. And that's, that's what happens. Well, I do this first, and then I do this second, and I do this third. We don't walk after the flesh. We walk after the Spirit. That means I am trying to take steps to get closer to God. I am absolutely, totally dependent upon the Lord for everything I need. Now, I'm not just sitting at home doing nothing, saying, God, please provide. You know, God feeds the birds, but he doesn't throw the bird seed in the nest. Birds still got to get out there, and you got to get out there. But we're dependent on the Lord. Chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Now, Thursday, we define this word uncleanness. It's not just poor hygiene. As a matter of fact, it has nothing to do with hygiene at all. It has to do with our sexuality. It has to do with accepting God's definition and walls of the good and godly desire that he has given each of us. They say the first desire, the greatest desire we all have is to breathe. And the second is to drink, drink water. The third is to eat. And the fourth is to reproduce the sexual desires. And it's from God. It's not the devil. It's not dirty. It's righteous. As a matter of fact, it's holy. Sex is a holy thing. It's righteous. And it's blessed as God has put up these boundaries and these walls of marriage. And God's not trying to keep sex from anyone. God is keeping sex for them. And those that go outside of the paradise of God find thorns and briars and heartache and get no satisfaction, and they sing about it, and it becomes a world hit. I can't get no satisfaction. And they're walking after the lust of uncleanness, and they despise government. Now, that's not just talking about some freedom movement uh, against um, national authority. It's talking about any rules and any authority in our life 
goes further, presumptuous are they, self-willed, and they are not afraid to speak evil of dignity. So let's develop point number one. They have a proud will. That is, they walk after the flesh, one step after another. It is progressive. They are making definite progress. They are willful. That is, they're not submitted. This lust of uncleanness refers to the fallen nature that's in all of us, in each one of us, in me, in you, in everyone, in your sweet, wonderful grandmother and the people a thousand years ago. And if you have children and they have children and they have great-grandchildren, those seeds of uncleanness will be in them. The tendency towards base things and to put your head outside of the fence of God's protection. Now, we were all born as innocents. We were all born with a sin nature, but we hadn't committed sin yet. And as our parents protected us and shielded us, it developed a hunger for righteousness and hopefully an abhorrence for evil things. A physical analogy might be you really developed a a liking for good food and, and wonderful meals but old garbage cans that are in alleys that just reek. And somebody threw old fish heads and rancid meat in, and they've been sitting in the August sun for a week. And you walk through the alley, and it's just, whoa. You hate that, and you love this. That's what sheltering and protection is. And I am so grateful. I am so thankful that God has sheltered me and protected me through my parents. And they shielded me. Oh, we're not going over there. We're not going over there. No, we're not doing that. We don't know anything about that. We're not watching this. And the Bible word is that we should be simple concerning evil. As you know, it's there. You know, it's there, but you don't know a lot. By the way, when I got 16, the doors didn't just open. Okay, you're 16 now. You can stick your head in the garbage can. No, you know what? I'm 50, and I still don't like to stick my head in the garbage can. When I'm watching something, and there's something wrong, I turn away. I put my hand up. You say, well, aren't you mature enough to handle that? No. The seeds of immorality and uncleanness are in every son and daughter of Adam and Eve. And just a little bit of watering through exposure. Just a little bit. And they can start to grow. Just as weeds can grow in the most beautiful garden. You got to keep weeding. You got to keep your garden clean. And don't you think for a minute, oh, I'm mature now. Don't you think, oh, I'm an adult now. I can handle that. Many people wiser and stronger than any of us have fallen. One of my first congressional heroes, well-spoken, intelligent, gifted, connected, wealthy, was speaking. And it just so happened that the tag for the dry cleaner was on his little belt clip. And he was just about ready to walk out on the stage. And I said, oh, just a second. And I pulled that little tag off and it has his name there. And I just said, I'm going to pray for you daily when they came back. He said, thank you. I'm going to pray for you daily for God's blessing and protection. And I did. But it was less than a year. Terrible things came out. At first, I said, there's not true. Not true. They were true. I got that little tag. You know what that tells me? Anybody can fall. It doesn't say that's an incredibly bad person. It just says he didn't keep the garden of his life clean and pure. And I am standing, unless you're confused, I am standing here before you calling you to a life of holiness. I'm asking you to go be happy in the protection of God's paradise, the garden of holiness. I want to live there. Deborah and I, we want to live in this garden. And that's what Peter is calling us to. Watch out for that first step, the proud will. By the way, young parents, that will is that first step. It's it's easily seen, even in the youngest of children. A willful, unsubmitted, 
proud, strong idea. I want this. Such to the, to the point that you, as, as a young parent, you're 25, you're 35, you've got all this experience, you've got these degrees, you, you know all this stuff, and, and little Junior is only this tall, but he thinks he knows. He doesn't know. You know. You know. And that will is a danger sign. It is a danger sign of trouble to come. In verse number 10, presumptuous are they. What does presumptuous mean? It means proud. It means assuming. It means failing to observe the limits of what is permitted and appropriate. You ever met somebody that's presumptuous? Maybe they'll come over your house or maybe they'll come into your office. And let's just talk office here for a second. And they come in and they're loud and they're taken over and everybody in the office are like, oh my goodness. They're taking more authority than they have. They're taking more air. They shouldn't. What are you doing? You should be embarrassed, but they're not embarrassed. They have a proud will. They're presumptuous. They're self-willed. You know, the Bible is filled with all sorts of sacrifices. Sacrifices are key because sacrifices, really, they can be defined like this. I've got to give something up to go up. You've got to give up to go up. And so I sacrifice a lamb or I sacrifice this. And God is calling each of us to sacrifice. That is, there is something you've got to lay down in order to step up and go forward. But that is not your character. It's not your morality, which is actually what the devil asks you to do. Give up your morality to step up. But God asks you to give up something superficial and temporary. Good, oftentimes a need. Cash, money, something. A day, here you are today. Many of you have great pressures, but you're here today. It's a sacrifice. It's a good sacrifice. God will bless it. As a matter of fact, I believe this. The more it costs you, the bigger the payoff. And so when it's hardest to come to church, when it's hardest to do right, when the pressure is so great you don't know what to do, put your head down, trust in God, and take that step of faith and walk forward knowing that God is not a debtor to the righteous. He will reward you. and God will bless you. God will protect you. So watch out for in yourself and in others a proud will. Verse number 12 brings up our second point, an evil mouth. Not only a proud will, but an evil mouth. You know, God thinks a lot about our words. As a matter of fact, we have a saying, a man is only as good as his... Man, that was one or two of us. A man is only as good as his... There it is. The book of Psalms says that God has exalted his word above his very name. The words of the Lord are pure words, that God will protect them and keep them and preserve them. You can take God at his word. He's honorable. But corruption and the elements, the components of the corrupt is first a proud will, but second an evil mouth. In verse number 12, it says, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. That is, there's a custom corruption that you are making yourself. It's unique. And if you continue on your, on your own way, on your own path, with your own willfulness, giving ear to somebody else's corrupt mouth, evil mouth, and then getting a voice for your own evil mouth, you will have your own corruption, a custom-made corruption that you have engineered yourself. Verse 12 says brutish. Brutish is simply a word that means driven by instinct. The animals are driven by instinct. The animals actually don't sin. I mean, God made dogs to do things that dogs do and cats and, and fish do this and birds do that. And they just do that. That's their instinct. That's their drive. Now, we, we are different than the beasts. We have a will. We can sin. We can do things that are opposite of our instincts, opposite of the image of God. But we can become, we can fall so low to be as the beasts. 
and we can fall even lower than the bees. We would do things and can do things, and we have on the news people, humanity, doing things that the animals don't even do. They're lower than the animals. They're brute beasts driven by instinct. Degeneration. Notice also that they speak evil. Now, I want to go back to Thursday night's uh, uh, class, and let's go to Ephesians 5 and verses, um, I think it's 2, verse 2. Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love. And that was the subject. We can have love and honor. As Christ also hath loved us and giving himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. So God is saying, I can give you this love and this honor, and that's what you want. In order to do that, you've got to get out the filthy lifestyle, which is verse 3, and the foolish mouth, which is verse 4. Look at verse number 3, and it says, but fornication and all uncleanness, this is sex before marriage, this is homosexuality as defined in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 24, and it's all driven by this word covetousness, an insatiable desire for more. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. That is, we are to be clean, and we are not to trifle with it, dabble with it. It's not, oh, I worship God, and I love God, and I love his word, and I'm just playing around with this. No, it's not once to be identified, named, attached to us as followers. So that's a filthy lifestyle. But look at verse number four nor filthiness, nor foolish talking. This is corrupt communication. Foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather, and the solution to both problems is thankfulness, but rather giving of thanks. Listen, as Christians, our life is to be filled with praise toward God and thankfulness for his provision and protection. Otherwise, I fall into a filthy lifestyle and a foolish mouth. And I start jesting and joking and talking about holy, righteous things with flippancy. I say, what are they doing? They don't even know what they're doing. As a matter of fact, my parents and the government and the police and all these leaders, as a matter of fact, they're keeping me from the best things. And if I could just step over that and get past that, I can, I can have the best that's out there. And it's a lure, and the devil is on the other side of that lure, just luring people in, not mile by mile, but step by step and inch by inch, a proud will and an evil mouth. Back up to verse number 11, 2 Peter 2 and verse number 11, and it says, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might than humanity... Bring not a railing accusation against them before the Lord. What is that? That is, angels have, have respect for the opposition. Now, this is speaking of the details found in Jude, verse number 8. So let's flip over here to Jude, chapter eight, verse number 8, and just jot this down. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, that is, you can incite corruption in you. And you don't see it because it's a seed hiding in your humanity. But it will manifest itself in years to come. That's why I don't watch that. I, I, I don't. And what's your guide? It's the Ten Commandments. It's the Ten Commandments. I don't watch that because it will draw out of me. And you will witness a pastor, and I've consecrated and dedicated myself to the Lord. But you could witness, like many other con congregations have witnessed, the corruption of a good man. How, how does that happen? It's the seeds of uncleanness are hiding in the soil of our hearts. They, de they defile the flesh. They despise dominion. They despise, they hate authority and speak evil of dignities. Now, verse number nine gives the specific illustration here. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, so this is very high spiritual power, the archangel fighting with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not, dare not, bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. 
In other, the, other words, the weapons of our warfare, we need to realize that the devil has great power. And only as we are submitted to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, are we free. I grew up singing a song, and I remember I was in, I don't know, maybe sixth grade or something. My mom and dad said, no more singing that song. But I loved it because um, we would sing it in church sitting down, and when we came to that part, we would jump up out of our chairs. And I was a good jumper. But you've probably sung it. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. How many have ever sang that song? It's a fun song. It's kind of poking fun at the devil. And I didn't like it when my parents said, no more singing that song. It's an action song. And I was looking for every opportunity to move. That's why in church, I'm always saying, talk to your neighbor, get up, turn around, go get a drink of water, whatever you want to do. Because I was always like, come on, let's move. But this is why. Jude 1.9, the Lord rebuked thee because don't underestimate the power of our adversary. Our adversary can crush us in a second, corrupt us only as we're submitted to the, the Lord Jesus Christ and his wonderful word are we safe. So the, the components of the corrupt, the proud will and the evil mouth getting us to act like beasts. Think about a beast. Think about your dog. My dog doesn't care. It's not embarrassed. It can overeat. It can use the bathroom right in front of me. It's not embarrassed. It's a beast. It has no shame. And the devil would like us to act as a beast with no shame, doing things that we should be ashamed of because we have a free will and we're created in the image of God. Evolution is saying that man is a marooned monkey, an orphan of the apes that needs to rise up, but creation says we are created in the image of God and we have something higher to live for than self-gratification and preservation and propagation. We can live for the Lord, and I don't have to do wrong. And the pressures to, uh, to uh, be reelected or to, to reach the next position or to, uh, to make the next goal, they don't have to affect me because I am following the Lord Jesus. And Psalms 37 says, I'm not to be anxious, but I'm to be filled with trust for the Lord. By the way, when we're talking about this beastly nature, the end of the world climaxes with the revelation of the beast, which is interesting. Now we got one last point. It's already warm. So wake up your neighbor, say, elbow a little bit, move around a little bit. The pastor's okay with me moving around a little bit. We got one last thought, and I'll let you go. So we've seen, number one, their proud will. We've seen number two, their evil mouth. And number three, in verse number 14, their greedy heart. Their greedy heart. In verse number 14, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. On heart, they have exercised with covetousness with covetous practices, cursed children. And here, not only have they entered into the dungeon of sexual misery called freedom, but they are asking others to enter it as well. They have a proud will, they have an evil mouth, and they have a greedy heart. This phrase, eyes full of adultery, is speaking of a raging fire of lust. Everywhere they go, instead of eyes that, that praise God for his creation, everyone and everything is another opportunity for sin. And you see the prison doors close as they cannot cease from sin. They can't even stop. They were introduced to something. They found a little enjoyment in it. They even identified with it a little bit. And now they're enslaved. And the stranglehold of corruption 
is upon their humanity. And the only thing they can get is, please accept me where I'm at. And the God of heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ died for all. And there's no one that God doesn't want to save through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you have done, nothing that you have done that God can't forgive you of. There is no sin that is greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. And God saves people from their sin. From their sin. And because they're saved from their sin, they are saved from hell. But there's a lot of people that are just dancing and basking and enjoying their sin and say, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. I've been saved. And I say, if you have not been saved from your sin, it's very doubtful that you've been saved from hell. And I don't like that. Nobody relishes that. That's a terrifying thing. Terrifying. They can't stop from sin. Notice it goes on further that they beguile unstable souls beguiling unstable souls. They want a following. They want camaraderie. And they're looking for someone that has been destabilized. As a matter of fact, that's a good tactic. If you are trying to beguile unstable souls, a good tactic would be to destabilize stable souls. And Peter is saying, watch out. There's, there's a, a corrupt part of humanity that is after seducing, beguiling, tricking, alluring, unstable souls. And this heart that they have, they've exercised it. Now, we all know about exercise. Exercise is, is you take a muscle that knows how to, how to do a particular motion, and you, you train it through straining and pushing it further than you think you can do it. And your coach says, one more, a little bit further. And, and you build the strength and stamina of your muscles. Isn't that right? Well, they are exercising themselves in covetous practices. There's two meanings to this last two words. Terrifying meanings. Terrifying. Horrific. And Peter warns us that there is a group of people that are not part of the holy seed, but they are the cursed seed, the children of disobedience. But there's a definitely another way to take this, that all of this covetousness and beguilement, and they can't cease from sin, and everywhere they look, there's wicked thoughts. They are the ones that are cursing the next generation. And I think that's exactly what's going on. The last verse we're going to look at is verse 15, which have forsaken the right way, and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Closing illustration, and Deborah, maybe you can play on the piano there just a little bit. As the children of Israel were coming into the promised land, they had been slaves in Egypt, they had wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and they were coming into the land of Moab, entering into the Canaan land. And a king named Balak got this false prophet named Balaam. And he said, put a curse on these people that we can defeat them. And they set up this altar. And he didn't curse him. He blessed him. And King Balak said, what are you doing? I hired you to curse him. You can't bless him. Let's do it again. <laughs> and they did it again. And he blessed him again. And the king is like, what are you doing? Curse these people. And the false prophet said, Balaam said, I can't curse what God's blessed. These are God's people, and they are blessed. And my friends, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've repented of your sin, and you are trusting him, you are a blessed people. But then Balaam said, I can't curse them, but they can curse themselves. Balak, I'll tell you what you do. Go get all the daughters of Moab and bring them out to meet the sons of Israel. They will commit lewdness and wickedness with them, and the curse of God will come. Balak said, okay. Went back to his people. He said, we're going to party like there's no tomorrow. Ladies, stage right. And they went. 
It was a grand success for the enemies of God. And these sheltered men of the holy seed loved these women and this lewdness. And in the end, there were 24,000 young men that died because of the curse of God. I've talked to you today about God and his holiness. His essence is holy. His essence is love. And he promises his followers love and liberty. But the imitation looks just like love, but not quite. It's lust. And love will sacrifice to give, but lust will kill to take. We are a holy people. God has called you to be righteous and clean. And probably if you look back in your past, you'll see many different times the hand of God has pushed this aside and pushed that aside. Maybe used your father's hand, strong hand. Maybe used your mother's loving hand and protected you and shielded you. But in your ear, you have heard numerous times the devil whispering his poisonous, treasonous lie. It's better out there. Just get past all these rules. What is all this? They're keeping such wonderful things from you. Look on the other side of this fence. And I want to say, I want to testify, I love the law of God. I love the pasture of his paradise. And I want to stay there. I want no pride and willfulness in my own heart. I want my mouth to be clean. I don't want to say wrong things. I don't want to give my tongue to, to words of defilement. I don't want a greedy heart, and I feel it rise up in me all the time. I don't want it. I want to live for God. And I want you to live for God. And I want to see our nation saved and rescued. This week, there will be powerful bills brought before the House and then moved on into the Senate. This week, the Senate is meeting about something that will change the definition of marriage in our nation. By the way, it has no effect on the Word of God. None. God wrote it down with his own finger in stone, and he didn't stutter. There's no effect. Oh, but our nation has tremendous effect throughout the world. What's whispered in the halls of Congress reverberates throughout the nations of this world. And what you do and what you say and what you look at matters. Oh, it matters. You are made for God. Thank you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or visit us in person, Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. Until next time, this has been Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill, helping you make a difference. Music